All right, everybody. Uh, I'm David again, and um, if you're if you're not new, you know me. If you if you are new, uh, I don't often walk up on stage with the gold shovel. Um, let me gotta explain. We uh, th this shovel says Redeemer Church groundbreaking ceremony, January 31st, 2021, and uh, yep and. We, uh, we're really excited because um, we have been for two years in the process of trying to uh, build a new building. And at the end of January, January 3rd, 31st, we were pretty confident. We, we were pretty darn close to making that happen, right? That it was go time. The dirt was going to move. And, uh, and then February passed. <laughs> and then March passed. And I'm sure there were people that, uh, that came up to me, maybe others that wondered, what's happening, right? What, what's going on? Why hasn't anything been done? And, uh, and I can tell you, behind the scenes, we were wondering the same thing. Many of us dealing with the challenges, uh, crying a little bit, uh, wondering, praying, Lord, when is it going to happen? But this morning, I would like you to look over to your left. And observe, there is a big green fence over there, not in a baseball field, in our field. And, uh, and that, uh, that is movement. And if you also notice, there is some um, dirt and scuff marks on this shiny gold shovel that we have. Uh, let me explain why. Um, as of a couple weeks ago, we, we turned a page with the city and the permitting, and, and things are moving. I am so thankful to tell you, after two years of the struggle bus, like that is, that is turning a page. Permit is ready. Steel is on order. Slowly but surely, what's going to happen is things are going to start to move over there. And I've been so excited about it. Uh, yesterday, out of my joy, I went over there, and I wanted to tell you dirt has moved, so I dug a hole. I dug me a hole, and uh, <laughs> and it's gonna happen, y'all. Um, yeah, and that's it. Thank you. But you know, um, that is not why we are here this morning. And uh, the thing that we gather here, the best news of today is so much better than uh, a building. And as thankful as um, we are for all that, uh, what what we're really thankful for is what we have in Christ today. And I'm reminded of something that Jesus actually said in John chapter 2 when he looked at the temple in Jerusalem that had taken decades to build. And he said, destroy that temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. And he wasn't talking about a building. He was talking about his body. And that three days after he would die and be buried in a tomb, the, the stone would get rolled away and our risen Lord would bust out. And that is why we are here today for Easter, for the gospel. And, you know, um, it's so good to be here because last year we didn't get to celebrate Easter like Easter deserves, did we? Uh, I, I, I know that saying, you don't really know what you have until it's gone. Well, last year when Easter wasn't what it ought to have been, I think this year I come and I realize what we really have and how thankful I am for today and how good it is to see some of your, your faces that I haven't seen in, in, a, in over a year. And how thankful I am for this church and the people and just what God has given us in Christ. And I pray that you leave here today with a little bit of hope busting out of a tomb as well. 
Does that sound good to anybody? Yeah. Amen. Let's, uh, I want to pray and then I want to read our Easter text. Would you guys bow your heads with me? Let's go to God in prayer. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for this day and for your grace and for the good things that you have given us. That we come, we come to you giving thanks for this morning. And, um, and Lord, we come to you with the foundation and the anchor of it all and the resurrection of your son. Lord, um, for those of us that believe and trust, would you, would you drive that deeper this morning? Would you soften our hearts and quicken our minds to see and believe and to let that lift our hearts and our spirits? And for those of us that are here that, aren't, that, that, that don't know you, Lord, I pray that, 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 that those two would see and know and trust and have the living hope that we have in the name of your son, Jesus. You are a rock and our redeemer. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, um, today's scripture passage comes from 1 Peter 3 uh, through 9. Man, it's going to get interesting with the wind here. Okay, um, I'm going to go ahead and read. If you brought your Bible, I'd encourage you to follow along. If you've got a Bible app, it's, that's a great way to do that too. Uh, let me go ahead and read our passage. It says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which persists even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Um, I want to I share a story with you all. Um, the story uh, actually of when my oldest son, Jesse Bryan, was, was born. And... Um, I don't know about uh, other dads out there, but before I had had any kids, uh, I had this kind of vision of what the day of my first child's birth was going to look like. And, and it, was, it was very specific, mostly informed by movies, as I was going to come realize later. But, uh, but here's how it went. Uh, firstly, I had no, no picture of Shannon's labor. That wasn't a part of the picture at all. All of a sudden, all of a sudden my son would just kind of be in the room and he'd be red and he'd be red faced and he'd be rowdy and be crying and he'd have big cries with big lungs and he'd be there and the nurse would look at him and comment and say wow he's so loud what big lungs he have and I'd be proud as a dad that that was my son and then you know they'd cut the cord and I'd get to hold I'd get to hold my boy because it was a boy for the first time and I'd get to say hi, you know, I'm your daddy, and have that moment. And then, I would, and then I'd have the also wonderful moment of handing this child to Shannon, and I'd get to watch my wife 
be the first time mom and, and really enjoy that as well. And then this is the part that I really looked forward to. Come on, train. Uh, this is the part that I really looked forward to is um, I, I wanted to run out into the waiting room to our families, right? And just and do the thing that you see on the movies, right? I wanted to run out and go, it's a boy, right? And everybody would look at me and, uh, and cheer and celebrate. His name's Jesse, and we, and we dance, and I don't know if we dance, but that was it. I just I wanted that moment. And, uh, and that's how I pictured it in my mind. It's what I was hoping. It's what I was expecting that beautiful day. Um, but, but actually, 10 years ago, the day Jesse was born, the reality was actually very, very different than that. Um, Jesse had a really rough birth. And, and, and Shannon's labor actually wasn't too bad until really those last moments when the doctor noticed some um, meconium that was there and she uh, immediately made a phone call and I didn't really understand what was happening, but I could tell she was a little concerned. And all of a sudden, with Shannon's final pushes, there was just nurses and I think doctors pouring into the room. And, um, and when Jesse came out of the womb, I, um, he, wasn't, he wasn't purple, he wasn't red. He didn't have color, like he just was struggling to breathe. All I remember was that I saw a limp gray body and I thought he was dead. And, um, and the nurse took, took him, said, David, I gotta do this. She cut the cord and she said one, meaning he had an APGAR score of one which means if you are aware of those kind of things, 10 is like the kid that's screaming and yelling and fully there. One means Jesse had a heartbeat. And they took him and they bagged him and, um, and they put him under this lamp and they were working this bag. And I just, I remember waiting there for what seemed like an eternity, uh, watching, waiting, watching, waiting not understanding and then i don't know how long but at some point jesse's little chest moved and he coughed and he let out this little pathetic whimper and he and he breathed and i gave thanks to god that he was alive and in that moment you know they they took him to the NICU and shan and i talked and and the, the other thing that i remember as I had this picture of going into the waiting room, this is what actually happened. I, I gave Shannon a hug. I said, we gotta go tell our parents. And I walked into that waiting room and I kind of hunched over and I just said, you know, Jesse, it's a boy. His name is Jesse Bryan. I think he's okay. He's in the NICU. And I just broke down and cried. And it was just so overwhelming. And, and it was so hard because here was the most beautiful moment of our lives, right? The most incredible thing that had happened, so, so beautiful. And yet at the same time, it, it was so, so broken. The experience was so far from what it ought to be and what it should be. And what life, new life, isn't supposed to be tinged by the reality of death, right? And, and I reflect on that experience. And I, and I think when I was younger, Maybe when I was, even in my 20s when Jesse was born, I think I, I had this idea that life had moments that were totally pure, that were perfect, that there were things that were beautiful and had no blemish, 
that there was, there was good things and there was no sign of evil in them at all. Um, and, and I think the reality, at least for me, is, is I've gotten older and I've lived life and I've, and I've seen things and I've walked with people and I've been a pastor. What, what instead I think is, is more true is there is hardly ever a moment that is beautiful in life that doesn't have some blemish on it. That there's hardly ever the beauty that God intended in his creation without some form of brokenness that's right there with it. <clears throat> and, and we see it all the time. We, we see it. We experience it all the time. I just think this last year of what I've seen, I saw a couple after a career of hard work who had beautiful, incredible plans of retirement have all that cut short by a terminal cancer diagnosis. What was beautiful was broken. But I think about um, a kid that I know who beat every odd and, and gritted through school and was going to his graduation day and the day when everybody wanted to celebrate and give thanks for what had happened in this kid's life, none of us were able to do it because of stupid COVID and the graduation ceremony not being what it was supposed to be. I think about a 40-year-old woman who waited her whole life to, 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 for the right man. And when she finally met him on the day of her wedding day, she had to walk up the aisle alone because the year before her father who had waited with her passed and was not able to be present on that day. Life is beautiful and life is broken. This is the reality of our life. Like how there's always some cloud trying to cast the shadow of the best parts of our experience. And I don't know about you, but every time I experience something like this, it just, it just in the depth of my soul, I just something, I just know it's not right. It just makes me groan and ache and cry out to the Lord, Lord, like, is there not something better and more than this? Some, something that you're pointing us towards that's not broken, that's unblemished, that's totally beautiful. Do you feel it too? You know, um, uh, some of you may have noticed that the passage that I read from 1 Peter is not the typical scripture that we read on Easter morning. Um, we didn't read the narrative story of Jesus' empty tomb. And maybe some of you guys are, are a little disappointed in that. And I understand that. Like, I hear you. You know, David, we, we want to we wanna see Mary go to the tomb and see the angel and the stone rolled away and the earthquake, right? And the angel say... To, to Mary, to the disciples, he is not here, he is risen, right? I, I, I get that. That's the Easter story. That's what we're here to celebrate. Amen. Um, but let me respond to that. I'd like to say two things, um, if that's you, if that's what you're wondering. One, um, uh, we're about to baptize four people after this service in a horse trough, and we're doing, we're doing the service on a gooseneck trailer. So if you're expecting things to be more... Uh, traditional around here, I'd encourage you to pick up on the context clues, okay? <laughs> the, se the second thing I want to I wanna tell you is uh, this passage that we read, it is, it is an Easter story. This is the Easter story played out in the life of the, 
the rock upon which Jesus built his church. These are the words of Peter. And we've been doing uh, a series here for the last couple of weeks called Man on Fire. And we've been looking at the life of Peter. Peter, the passionate, fiery follower of Jesus who didn't start out that way. He was passionate and fiery, but he needed formation. And so here's this man, big personality, always in the middle of everything, always speaking before he thinks. And we've watched as especially these events like leading up to Easter, the Last Supper, Good Friday, and then after Easter next week, we see Jesus interact with Peter. Peter's prominent in all of these things that happen around Holy Week because Jesus is forming him into the man that's going to lead the church. But what's so interesting is if you try to look at Easter morning through the lens of Peter, what you actually discover is that there's not much there. Peter's not actually prominent in the Easter story of of that Easter Sunday morning. He's present, but he doesn't show up in the same way. He goes to the tomb. He looks in there. He sees the lemons. He's filled, I'm sure, with awe and wonder and joy. But when he sees his risen Savior, what we'd expect from Peter is that he'd run to Jesus and throw himself at his feet and he'd be all over and he'd be prominent, not only present, but at Easter, Easter morning when he sees the risen Jesus thereafter, he, he's there, but he's hesitant. He's reserved. Peter doesn't show up in the same way. And um, there's maybe a very good reason for that. Does anybody have any idea what it is? It's what happened when Peter denied Jesus before his crucifixion. So think about this. The last interaction that Peter has with Jesus is that at the Last Supper, Jesus shares, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And then when they go to the garden and pray and Jesus is arrested and taken away, Peter does that very thing. He denies him three times. And then Jesus is beaten and he climbs up the hill, and he's crucified on a cross, and he dies. And in those last moments of his life, John's there. His mother Mary is there. There might have been a couple other disciples there, but Peter, he's nowhere to be found. Last thing we hear from Peter before the resurrection is that after he denied Jesus, he went off and cried and wept bitterly because he was living in the guilt of what he had done. And so put yourself into Peter's head on that Easter Sunday morning, right? Jesus is alive. His Lord lives, right? How can you not be amazed and filled with joy when what was impossible has now been done? His risen Lord stands before him, but he he sees Jesus within, within the experience, within the backdrop of his unresolved guilt. He feels the weight of what he's done. And when he looks at his risen Lord, he knows that Jesus knows that he knows what he's done and how he failed. And, And that's Peter's Easter. Peter's Easter is this experience of beautiful, so beautiful, and yet so broken, so, so broken that we've been talking about, right? And so here, as we open up this letter... This is Peter after that moment, forgiven, restored, talking to people like you and me 
who live in a world that's broken yet beautiful, that's beautiful yet broken, and telling us how we how we do this, what we do now, where our hope is. And he pulls out a couple things from this scripture I really want you to hear. Here is the first of them. Even when life is broken, nothing can ever break what we have in Christ. This is what Peter says to us. Even when life is broken, nothing can ever break what we have in Christ. I want to read you here Peter's words again. He says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he begins. Praise God. Why are we praising God? Because in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I love, I love the way Peter phrases this. A new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Can you, can you repeat those three things after me? We have a new birth into a living hope through Jesus' resurrection. Amen, you do. You do. And, and Peter, this broken man who knew his faults and his failures, how does that begin? He says, in his great mercy. Peter, after Easter, we're going to do this next week. He has this incredible moment where Jesus forgives the man. And in that forgiveness, he saves Peter and he makes Peter. And and Peter lets what Jesus does get into his heart and into his soul. He's saying, God had mercy on me. Jesus had mercy on me. And when I, I experienced that mercy, I repented of my sins, I had a new birth. There was a new thing that God did in my heart in my mind, and now I have a living hope through, through Christ's resurrection. And, and y'all, this is what he's saying is this is what we have through the promise of Easter, through the gift of forgiveness. We have a new birth. You're born again. When you believe, you, your life is, is reborn in a way that you see everything through the lens of God's grace and God's salvation and God's promises in Jesus. And, 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 and you have to do this. This is what it means to be saved. Peter, Peter knows this. You have to be born again. Everybody was born once. You were born once to your mama. Your mama can tell you about it, right? And if it's traumatic, your dad will tell you about it too. <laughs> but, uh, but we have to experience a birth by the Spirit. And we experience that birth by the Spirit, by, by belief, by receiving the, the grace that God gives us, and then, and then by living our life in the lens of, of that salvation and resurrection. This is what Peter's saying here. We have a new birth into a living hope through Jesus' resurrection. Um, <clears throat> and, and you know it. I, I think you know it. I think you feel it in your heart, in your mind when you believe that God's done this in your life, grace becomes more precious than gold. There's a peace that settles into your heart. And man, I hope you're here this morning celebrating, knowing that you've been given that grace. And if, if you don't have that peace and you don't know that new birth, there's no morning like this morning than to find that promise and that treasure that we have in Christ. And I'd, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to help you on. Here's the next thing that I think Peter says to us in this passage. 
when, when life is broken, what is truly beautiful becomes clarified. When life is broken, what, the things that, that really last and matter become clearer. Does that make sense? You got me? Um, this letter, we know Peter wrote it, but a lot of us actually don't know who it was written to, who Peter had in his mind when he penned these words. And, and it's relevant because actually the, the first audience of First Peter were a people going through a devastating period of persecution in the first century. Uh, we know this through history. We know this through what was happening in the region. What had happened is that the emperor didn't like the early Christians, and there were some things that had gone wrong, and he blamed them. He scapegoated these early Christian people that Peter's writing to, and they basically became brutalized in society. They had all kinds of social pressures working against them. Many of them were publicly beaten. A lot of them were thrown into jail for periods of time. Some of them were put into gladiator arenas. Some of them were martyred. Some of them were hung from trees and burned alive. They were a brutalized, persecuted people. And when Peter says in verse 6 from our passage, he says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. That's what he's referring to. That's what he's, tell he's referring to in their minds. And let me say for our ears, that's understated, isn't it? This is a horrible reality underneath here. They were experiencing a terrible brokenness in the world. But here's what I want, here's what I want you to see. Look at what Peter says to them next in verse 7. He says, These trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You hear that? These trials, this horrible thing that you're going through has come so that the genuineness of your faith is proven and it's worth more than gold. Gold perishes even though refined in the fire, but your faith does not. It will result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ Jesus is revealed. I want you, I want you to hear this. Peter is not saying that because Jesus is risen from the dead, this horrible thing that's happening to you guys right now is going to be done and over, and you're not going to experience that anymore. He doesn't say anything about their persecution ending. They would love him to, but that's not where the promise is, right? The, the gospel isn't a promise that when we believe, suddenly we expect blessing. That's not what he's saying to us here. And the reality is that is undeniable is that our world is still broken, our lives are still stained in sin. Evil still lurks at every single door. And there's going to be seasons like the one we've been living in for the past 14 months where we all wish life was something different than what it was. Right? But what Peter is also saying here is when you go through these times of trial, what this can do is clarify the hope that you have in Christ. Because when that fire rages over your life and everything burns up and it's only rubble and you walk up to the ashes and you, and you move them, what is the thing that remains? Like whoa, the, the hope that you have in Jesus, that there's an empty tomb, that he's risen from the grave. It's a treasure in a jar of clay that's untouched, that nothing can change. And it tells us that when life is broken, 
right? There is one who can mend it all back together, who's bigger than it, who's stronger than it, who says to a broken world, I am alive. <laughs> you hear that? <laughs> okay? <laughs> After Peter says this new birth that's a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this, this is what we have. He calls it an inheritance, and he says this, this inheritance will never perish, spoil, or fade. Right? You have been born into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It is kept in heaven for you. And I, I've just been thinking about that phrase over the last 14 months. Right? These last 14 months, and you all know what I'm talking about. They, they, have been, they have been so tough. Like, they've been so unpredictable. Like, I, I know people who never imagined relationally, <clears throat> relationally, emotionally, financially, they would find themselves in the positions that they are right now. And, and they have had plans that have been ruined, and they don't know how to put plans back together. And, they're, and they're, they're looking at their lives. I bet some of you are looking at things the last 14 months and saying, man, I don't know what these last 14 months hasn't perished, spoiled, or faded in some way. So much of life has been broken. We've seen that. It's been all around us, right? And, and the reality is nobody ever wants to go through these times. Absolutely not. Nobody, nobody would have chosen this. I bet if I could give every single one of us a chance to rewind the clock 14 months to whenever the rodeo got canceled, whatever that first event was, right? And we could say that's not, I, I'm not going to do this. Like we're going to chart a different path forward. Who wouldn't choose a different path forward, right? But <laughs> it's times like this that clarify for us our hope that we have in Christ, that, that there's an empty tomb that's bigger than a fatal disease, right? That, that there's something that we can say, we can look at our life and say, what am I counting on? What am I counting on that's stronger than changing circumstances that are beyond my c- control? What, what is my foundation at that nothing can take away? And Easter morning, y'all, is the, is the promise that we have one of those foundations. You hear that, right? Whenever have we needed an Easter more as a nation than, than after this one? And when, when people have gathered for the last 2,000 years, right, let's be really clear. People have not gathered to say, the stock market is risen, it is risen indeed. Okay? People have not gathered to say, the cure for coronavirus is risen, it's risen indeed. That's not our greatest hope. Right? We do not gather because our 401k is risen, our political desires have risen, the price of oil has risen. The job market's risen. Right? We are here because there's one hope that has held up humanity through times of poverty, pain, hardship, and disease for the last 2,000 years. And it's that Christ is risen. And what does the Church of Christ say? He's risen indeed. Amen.